podcast. Periodically, we're wondering why sometimes the sport of hockey is very fun, but it took us three days to overcome the gigantic scare of almost losing Lucas Carlson, Alexo, and Alexo Hatton on waivers. <laughs> I, I, I do. I will die on the hill that I, it, I'm not a fan of waving. Alexo Hepaniemi, one of the only forwards you've drafted early that has ever given anything back on investment, really. Uh, you what, know, we've had Kraus. count for the cap space? We have Borgstrom. We have, you know, Tippett. We have Denisenko currently. We have, you know, Howerluck, Masherin. There's a lot of guys that, you know, just haven't, just were nothing for Florida, really. And, Hepo Niemi is at least showing, uh, you know, he's starting to hit. The only bad thing you can say about him is his playing weight, which, I mean, I guess it's real. It looks real. As far as, like, if you're just looking at him, he, he does look like 160 pounds. There but is a word uh, I might use to describe him that I will not say on this podcast because I don't know if people would get the joke. But, uh, you know, he, it's not like he's – it's not like he's getting tossed and it's not like he didn't have very good AHL numbers last year. Didn't have a very good preseason. It's his fifth year out of the draft. And you always knew that it would take him longer than other kind of top 60 draft picks to kind of matriculate to the NHL because of the size, but there's nothing going wrong in his development. He's showing adaptability where like, yeah, if he doesn't become a top-line Johnny Gaudreau-type playmaking player, which, you know, it doesn't look like it, but uh, his WHL numbers, you know, were certainly high. Um, you know, you can still get a useful third- or fourth-line player who can finish, who can who can play with some finesse, who can kill penalties, you know. I, I don't know. I, I really... That was really a weird asset management move for me. And, well, and when you fly close to the sun with the salary cap. Yeah, and with Carlson, it's like, man, look at this D. Like, like we had to, they picked up Mahora on waivers and everything. I don't know if they think he's better than Carlson, but the the results at the NHL level speak way better to Carlson. Obviously, you might say team results in, in such a small sample size, but. Um, you know, Carlson had chemistry with Montour. There's chemistry with some of these players already. He was already playing well at the end of last year. Uh, his camp was a little slower, but I think he was nicked up a bit and recovering from that. So it's not, you know, I wasn't really worried about his 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 little play in, in the preseason. Um, so hopefully, if you know, you can get him back there because I really worry about Stahl. He's kind of a pylon out there. His his side to side movement, his um, you, you know his explode. There's really no explosiveness, obviously left over, but just his quick side to side even is a struggle. I mean, as I have said previously, I have not watched any games in the preseason, so I really don't know because I haven't watched. But I don't really think I Panthers need to watch didn't make Mark it Stahl. Panthers didn't make it easier on you with uh, some streams not working, but... Uh, well, ESPN yeah, I mean, Plus will work tonight as we are recording this, so I am looking forward to having the ability to watch a stream tonight for the first time all year. But my point is, 
as we start talking about this season, we're going to talk about some of the Hockey Canada stuff later because we had a first take of this podcast that didn't quite work out the way we hoped for, and then three days later, everything changed. We will get to that a little bit later, and I will mark out in the podcast when that discussion is, so if you would like to skip it for whatever reason, you can do so. Let's just talk about this Panthers team. The It's so interesting because we did this podcast the first time, and we didn't quite know how the roster situation was going to work out. It turns out that they're just going three short. Which, when you look at all of the salary cap gymnastics that have been done this year, I have never liked as many cap-friendly tweets as I have because you've got teams that are $4 under their LTI limit. You've got one team in Vancouver that literally hit it. On opening night, the Oilers had to play a forward down. This is the flat cap world, and a bunch of teams that didn't plan for the flat cap world got squeezed. And, you know, unfortunately, there was an act of God with a pandemic that killed everybody. Uh, And the Panthers kind of, again, flew close to the sun, and this is what happens. Uh, It is actually quite a bit easier of a situation, if that's the best way to put it, with their cap situation because they just went three short. Now, it's going to be very interesting, Tommy, as you said to me on Monday, to see what they do if somebody, God forbid, gets hurt. Because, I mean, if it's in any semblance of a long-term injury, cross your fingers, it doesn't happen, they're going on LTI immediately. And when Anthony Duclair comes back, somebody's going to have to go on LTI with an injury in air quotes. I think we can tell who that probably will be, but that's a discussion for February. They're going to be doing emergency loans. They're going to be doing nights where they might have to go short if the injury is a minor one. I mean, when you fly close to the sun, sometimes you get burned. And this is what they're doing. And they've got good cat people in place to figure out how they're going to make it work. But there are going to be some nights that are going to be sketchy this year because of it. And Right, which is, again... Why I was so I didn't understand the waving of Hepo Niemi and Carlson because those are cheap players who you can play. Well, as you said to me firstly, it's why did you sign Colin White and Nick Cousins? Well, yeah, that's 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 part two. Is you know, what I didn't understand is Zito. This is the third year in a row he's picked a defenseman off waivers. He's he's you know he made trades early with Stillman and stuff. And, you know, he's he's moved guys. He's made a lot of changes early in season. So why did he try to fill up every single hole the second, you know, the beginning of July when he could have, you know, you're paying $1.21 million, you know, $1.1 million for Cousins and White. How much worse are the players that you would be able to sign off PTO. I mean, they liked Eric Stahl, so there's Eric Stahl. You would have, you know, been able to get him for probably like 500000 or something, right? Well, the vet minimum seven fifty, so that's what he would have paid for. Right. Yeah, yeah, I hate that rule. Uh, it, it, but whatever. Um, usually the vets are the ones that can, like, are choosing the play where money's not the well, concern. Well, what's really interesting to me is – they flow so close to the sun with the salary cap that they c- literally could not right. sign Eric Stahl even well, though they wanted they, to. And, but they knew, but and that's because of their own signings. Like I don't like, I don't understand why the people who are as smart as they are thought that they needed to get White and and Cousins under contract, and they they are so much better than, um, you know, your internal options who would be cheaper. Uh, getting guys who are going to be hanging out there, um, you know, coming through on waivers and stuff like that. Like you could have had Emil Benstrom on waivers, who I, I, you know, would have been an interesting option or something like that. Instead of 
uh, White or Cousins where you're kind of hoping that this year and next year, I forget, for Cousins, right? Cause yes, got Cousins to, is on a two-year deal. Uh, it's one. That, you know, you're hoping that they basically just limit, at, at base minimum, limit low event hockey. You know, like that's what their job is. And, and I just really don't like that direction or, or you know, spending $2.3 million of the cap when we're so close on two guys. You know, if you if you got rid of them and replaced them with, um, you know, two guys who make 750000 a year, you would have enough to have an extra body in cap space right now to to use and 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 not play right up there so you'd ha- be able to carry around on the road an extra player like pra- you know have an extra player practicing and, and not have practices be so because if you want to have practices be competitive and everything like that it doesn't help when you don't have bodies when you only have six guys and you know you're, you're trying I mean, so- technically technically matt kirstead is hurt technically uh, also i i have to say that when they got waived I think it's exclusively because they flew so close to the sun and the salary cap they couldn't keep them up. And but that's just but that's just not the management that I think that makes sense when you know the season, right? But that they need like, more from you other keep players. saying like they flew you keep saying like they flew too close to the sun like and and it's and like it, it makes sense and everything, but like it also takes away the, the, like their own agency in, in this. Like this is all part of part of them. They could have had more room by buying out Hornquist or pressuring a Hornquist move, you know, more. They they could have had more room by not spending $3 million on Stahl, uh, White, and Cousins. Like, they, they could have done more um, to go around this. So it, it's, it's, it's like they're forcing themselves to, like, to, to, to do a balancing act when – I, I think they would have more room and breathe easier and not have to do all this finagling and all this and that and do all these like weird risky moves. Um, and, and instead if they just, you know, like understood. Yeah. Zito does like to do a lot of stuff at the beginning of the season. He likes to be able to pick up guys that are underrated that, you know, are good, you know, efficient guys. Let's trust our ability to do that and not have to sign Guy, bottom six guys in UFA at the top of the market price on day one and kind of, you know, uh, I, I don't want to say negotiate against themselves, but they're definitely not betting on themselves. And I would like to see them do that more. So when I just look at these lines, again, we were recording this right before game one. You might listen to this after the first game is played. But the, yeah. the logic yeah, and hopefully, still holds. Hopefully this means Colin White and Cousins will have like three points between them. It's, it, might be the, it might be the Y hockey jinx. So... When I look at these lines, they're not bad. I know you're not a huge fan of them. I can understand what the, the logic is The forwards are not them. bad. Yeah, I don't I mean, like them, and I and I worry about Lindell's development in this situation. But and like, hey, we spent a lot of we spent a lot of capital to get Matt Kachuk. Let's put let's put Matthew Kachuk with with Sasha Barkov here, uh, because we keep saying like. Oh, we got we got Kachuk to bring out the best in Barkov, and Barkov will, will make sure that Kachuk can can still hit a hundred points playing the way he does. And like, okay, well, if we're not playing them with each other, then why do we do all of that? So I think part of this, and I'm not saying this is the right call because I agree with you. I think they should be playing together as soon as possible. 
I think because Kachuk didn't play a lot this preseason, he was nicked up a little bit, that they want to start him with somebody he already has some familiarity with in Sam Bennett because of the Calgary days. And that's fine. But as I said, they should be playing with Barkov. And a Barkov for Hagee Kachuk line is immensely fun. Like that, that has yeah. a lot of great possibilities. But I don't think these lines are bad. I think the third line is interesting. As long as it's not being used <laughs> primarily to do kill any of of uh, exciting hockey, I, I hope it's not what that is. I think it might not be as much as you think it is, but I can see why you'd be scared of that. I, well, the, my issue is I haven't seen White do anything of note. Like, he hasn't looked like a third liner in any way, shape, or form in the it, last year or the, in this preseason. So I don't... So, like, to me, it's just like, all right, there's an anchor for Lindell. I don't need that. Like, I would have – I'd rather Hornquist there because at least Hornquist is going to – like, if Lindell's taking shots or throwing pucks to the front of the net, like, Hornquist can turn that into a point, can turn that into, you know, confidence for, for Lindell. I don't know if White is – I haven't seen White do it, so until I see it, I, I you know, I'm not a huge fan. I would, I would probably, you know, even – I would have Kachuk, Barkov, Bowser's as the first line if it was me. But Verhage, Barkov, Reinhardt's, Reinhardt's fine. Kachuk, Bennett, Bowser's is fine. I think that line's going to be principle. interesting to me, personally. I think that I want... Because that line has the potential to go off offensively, but it also has the potential to be really, really annoying. Because you know what Kachuk and Bennett could do. And Rudolph's Balsers, I think, had a pretty good preseason from everything that you know I was reading and everything that I saw. And of all of the new free agent signings and all the new players not named Matthew Kachuk. I think the most excitement comes from that potential that Balsers has because right. everybody, everybody agrees. Like that is a classic Bill Zito Panthers signing. And and that's what they should be like. That's what they should be doing in July. And then, you know, they should be, and then, you know, the second and third wave where I think a lot of people make their biggest mistakes. They, they shouldn't really, you know, teams like Florida, uh, you know, getting these middle guys, like, yeah, I, I just think that they 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 needed more bowsers in the in the forward groups than than White or Cousins. I think White uh, has and, potential to be more like Rudolph's ball, but, but they, I can understand they were trying they were to trying to they were trying to add their structure and defense in their bottom six rather than in their defensive six, and that's where. You know, I think it's you're gonna have limited returns. Like what they can affect and what they can influence, you know, White and Cousins as far as that goes, isn't gonna be that much. And and you know, Lostranen and Lindell are gonna be in that bottom six. It seems like this year, and Lomberg's pretty good defensively. So I'm not. Ter- it's not like they're not adding that much that wasn't there. Uh, but because of that 2.3 million or whatever, they had to get stalled. They couldn't do anything else in the, in the free agency really, for or even the trade group with defensive, you know, for defense. And now they're stuck with, you know, Forsling and Ekblad is going to be a good pair. I'm excited to see that. Uh, Montour is going to have to do a lot of skating for Stahl, and Stahl is going to have to. Uh, you know, make sure that he doesn't get attacked on his weaknesses because everybody knows, you know, what to do with old, slow defensemen, you know. Uh, and then we'll we'll see how Mahor does with Gudis. But so, hopefully... so you were talking to me about possibilities in terms of waivers, and you had him on your list of guys who'd be worth a shot. When you look at some of the numbers, 
Offensively, there is upside there. Defensively, he's been a mess. Maybe some of that is the fact that he played for Anaheim, and Anaheim's never been a great defensive team. He, they give up a ton of shots. So perhaps his profiles profile similarly to the guys that they have liked in the past. Somebody said it's kind of like Forsling before Forsling turned into what he is. Well, I'm not sure that. I don't No, no. I, I mean, like, he fits the Anaheim mold. Like, if you think of, like, Brandon Montour, you know, came up in the Anaheim system, Theodore, um, you know, Cam Fowler, uh, Josh Manson. Like, these are big, rangy guys who skate well, who can shoot hard, who who don't overthink things when they, when their instinct is to go forward and press, they do it without thinking when it's to stay back and play defense. It's, you know, they do that. It, it's it. I don't want to, they don't overcomplicate things. And in that sense, they, they are somewhat pretty moldable if you, you know, build your system around it. And it seems like that's kind of what Florida is trying to do. Like they're trying to have Maurice have the forwards and defenders be more competitive so when they get on 50-50 pucks or um, if they're going to get beat, they're taking their check with them. They're, um, you know, at least getting on pucks quicker and stuff and hopefully forcing more errors and more uh, turnovers from the other team. What you're kind of um, saying is it's not as passive as sometimes you saw defensively in right. the last couple of years. But, and I, I mean, can I understand that's, that. That's, that's all over. And I think what they're trying to do with their defensemen outside, well, even with Gudis, because he's a strong, powerful skater, is that they're trying to have their D just be just be workhorses. Like, they're trying to have their D go up and down the ice. They're trying to give their D free reign and then have the wingers, have the forwards clean up messes more um, than they did last year and be more proactive about it. Um, so I, it, it's going to be interesting to see if that pays off. I would have liked to, you know, do that in theory, but add add better <laughs> talent on the back end if you were going to do that. Less Mark Stahl, more anybody else. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I still think you're asking Montour to do a lot. Uh, that, to you me, know. is my biggest concern right now because I don't think – whatever you think of Radko Gudis, I think we've seen the best version of him as a Florida Last Panther. Year. Last year we did, and I think that he, <laughs> he's going to take penalties. That's Radko Gudis. He's going to do that all the time. You, that's already baked into the pie. But to me, Brandon Montour is – I think we've also seen the best of Brandon Montour as a Panther, and we know what he's not been great at. When we're talking about that static defending when they're not moving their feet all the time, he can be targeted. And that's what we talked about with Uyghur, which we will get to his contract in a second. That's been the thing with all of the Panthers' defensemen in the last three years. And when you're asking your defensemen to do more – in the sense of that's what they're trying to ask them to do. And when you're also putting a little bit more onus on Montour to clean up in a situation where that was not his job in the last couple of years, because you'd pair him with Radko Gudis, who would do the defensive dirty work, and you'd say, hey, Brandon Montour, go be the offensive defenseman you are. Now you're asking him to do more because he's playing with Mark Stahl. It's really concerning to me. And I don't think it's long before that gets switched and he's back with Gudis because I think that just works better. And you lessen Mark Stahl's role until, cross your fingers, hopefully he gets waived and he's replaced with Lucas Carlson, <laughs> which is something we will be wanting unless Mark Stahl plays above his head, which is not something I expect, at least in the early going of the season, because I think they're going to want to make Mark Stahl work. Because 
they may have been swayed by the whole Jack Johnson in Colorado thing, I, which I don't know no, exactly. No, I don't. I, I don't know. What, I I think that they he he had a better year last year in Detroit, and Detroit uh, they, was a far worse team. Let's be fair. Yeah. So I mean, I, I think that, I, I kind of understand what they were going for, but you know, for me, it wasn't what I I really thought they needed. Um, well, I I just want I had a couple things on on Montour here, just real quick, because I mean I think it's important because in all likelihood Montour is going to ring the bell and Florida is going to be signing that contract. Yeah, and, one year after this. And uh, you know I think they're they're does it does he really? He does have sure? one more year after this. Yes, I am sure. Gudis is up after this year, and Montour has one more year on his deal. Okay. Both Montour and Forsling have one more year on their contracts. So right. it well, is not quite you know, time for a Montour extension. Well, I, I have a I have a bad feeling about Florida, you know, basically signing a Uyghur contract with Montour and getting a much less less player and and seeing Sanheim possibly sign long term. I for have six seen million. that rumor just as we were recording this podcast that and, he might uh, be again, a six million dollar extension, which what are again, the Flyers doing? I don't understand if if that's I mean if if I could get Uyghur at six two five for eight years and and I'm trying to win a cup in the next couple of years, that's that's something I'm willing to do. I would do. rather have Uyghur's contract, which I think is as good a contract as you're going to get in the situation that presented itself, than anything related to what Sanheim might get, even though I like Sanheim a lot, yeah. and certainly more than Montour. And yeah. the one thing I will say but, about that Uyghur contract vis-a-vis the Panthers is Bill Zito's given out three contracts longer than three years. One of them was Sam Benton. He got four. And the other two were Barkoff and Kachuk, who he gave eight to because he believed them to be, you know, the cornerstone pieces. And he just doesn't give out long-term contracts, which is why I was thinking to myself when they traded Uyghur, it's going to be tricky to get him because you're going to have to give him a lot of money in eight years. And yeah, well, I, I mean, it, which that, is nothing wrong with that, of course, but any, I just any think he would have been. There's a lot of limitations you can place on yourself, and I think sometimes placing limitations don't allow you to see some exceptions. And Uyghur's pretty close to exception, especially if you don't really have a D plan moving forward. The UFA pool isn't great. Well, now with Sanheim uh, so on, it's they even don't, worse. They don't have, you know, you're hoping like Dmitry Orlov is kind of like the best bet out there. Uh, so from Columbus is somebody he knows, but that's not yeah. solving your problems. None of them are better. Than yeah. Either. So, and, and you also have a team that has no first round picks until the U S world cup in four years. Yeah. So, you, so it's going to be harder to trade. I mean, you're hoping Denisenko is the key and, and maybe you can get a, like a, like a skilled defenseman, you know, and, and rehab that, you know, reputation because you're getting somebody like a Denisenko who hasn't been able to make it work at the NHL level and maybe you can do something there I think that's their best bet but you know with Montour you're asking him to play power play one you know just to, just to really switch back in the gears real quick but you know Montour you're asking him to play a power play one he's going to be playing a ton of minutes this year and next year um, you know that's a lot to ask of him and to be honest that you know, you're you're basically making him your number three defenseman. When last year, I, he was a fine enough number five, but only because Forsling, you know, Ekblad, and Uyghur really protected him, and Gudis also yeah. to a degree protected him. And eventually, they added Sherratt, and that protected him too. Whether you whatever you think about Ben Sherratt, and I yeah, so I, we've talked a lot about upside. 
and there's a lot of betting on Brandon Montour, and I just don't know if it's there. I would be happy to be wrong. I would be happy to see the potential tapped as he is, you know, going to be the power play one quarterback, and they're going to have Ekblad in more of a shooting position again. All of this is interesting in theory. I understand what the logic is. I need to see it in practice before I can make further comments on it. But we talked a lot about the upside of this group, and I said earlier in the summer that I don't know whether there is upside on the blue line. There's a little bit with Mahura. I thought more of it was with Carlson, and now he's <laughs> going to be starting in the AHL. Yeah, a I lot mean, on Montour, and I don't know if that's the bet I would be making. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and still, you have to remember that this is going to be Forsling's first year pulling this heavy duty like from the get go with that expectation and pressure. He played um, well as a number one defenseman in the time when he was asked to do so when Ekblad was out. Now, I will say that those situations were different in 21 and 22. In 22, that team was already kind of coasting by the end of it when he was playing with Uyghur. I think he was more impressive in the 21 season when we really didn't know what you had. And then he played really well with Uyghur. He was not the one targeted in that Tampa series. Uyghur was. So I don't think the first pairing is an issue. Not when you have Ekblad, who, if he plays anywhere near what he's capable of, he's going to get Norris votes. But it's everything behind them that worries me. And because of the salary cap situation, at least as we start the year, that is going to be a challenge well, because I mean, the, where's your well, upside? You're just assuming that they'll be able to leave those two together. And and the problem is if Montour doesn't show that he can play 24 minutes or so, um, it's going to be very hard to put them on, you know, to leave Ekblad and Forsling on the same pairing. You're right. Uh, because the thing is you can't, it's one thing to like, you know, have a weak third pairing where they're playing 10, 12 minutes a night or something like that. You know, that's a lot easier to hide. But if you have your, and you know, they only have two guys that they can like just throw out and depend on. And, and that's Ekblad and Forsling. If, if they're all playing together, that's only 25 minutes or so a night, 30, you know, with special teams splitting them up and stuff like that, maybe, you know, if they're on separate pairings, you can get maybe get 45 minutes of one so of them. So in that hypothetical like, scenario, who would you want to pair those two with? I mean, I think you would have to do... I, I mean, there's so much about this team that I just don't know. Like, I don't know how they're all going to react to this new season and how they're going to play together. You know, there's so much question marks in this defense. You know, is Carlson an actual option for me? Because that would be different than if, you know, I have to use Mark Stahl. I don't really know how Mahor is going to do. Is he going to, you know, be he plays left and right. So, you know, he might be a piece that moves around a bit. You know, initially it'd probably be like Montour, Ekblad, Forsling, somebody. Forsling, Gudis, I would think. Yeah, I, I'm not quick to play Gudis that much but i mean yeah if you have to i mean if you're asking me of the three defensemen that are on the roster as we speak again barring anything else it would be gudis is the one that i trust more than the other two maybe it's mahura by the end of the uh by the end of this period because i think that mahura can elevate his role but again we've seen no evidence of it that's really as we focus now on just the general questions we have about this season there are a ton of them for a team that we both think is still going to be a playoff team relatively comfortably and finish with around 100, 105 points. Because the talent is still so good, and eventually they'll get Anthony Duclair back, and once you add Duclair, a deep forward group gets deeper, and then players in roles that we don't necessarily like them in are going to slide down. And that's 
good, but for the time being, there are a bunch of questions that the preseason didn't really answer because players were nicked up, and it's the preseason. You can't answer a ton of questions in the preseason, and that gets me into what are you looking for. Perhaps, again, if you're listening to this after game one, some of these questions might seem a little silly, but it's only one game. If you're listening to it before, even then, I think my questions that I have about this team really start from the simplest questions, which is, is Paul Maurice going to be putting in place the things he said he was going to put in place? Is this team harder on the puck in those little battles? Are they doing the more detailed things that he said he was going to add? And also, are they going to be adding to their game rather than taking away? Are they still going to be, at heart, this fast, aggressive rush team that has so much talent and lethality going you know, on the counterattack that has been their, their hallmark for the last couple of years, is that still what they are? Or are they a different kind of offensive team? But particularly defensively, are they doing the things that they did not do last season that you were harping on them to do in the month of March and April and they never really did? Because once you get to that point in the season, and now the season, the regular season ends a little bit earlier this year than it did last year, you don't have a lot of time to add that to your game before presumably you're playing in the playoffs. And we saw last year that they were not prepared in many regards to do the playoff things that you need to do to win and to be adaptable. And Paul Maurice is here because Bill Zito and Paul Maurice believe that they can add those elements to their game. You need to see it pretty quickly. You don't need to see it immediately, but you need to see it by about you know Thanksgiving, December. Because if you don't have it at that point, no amount of extra time in practice when you don't have it as much of it as you used to, and no amount of new players, whatever that looks like, come trade deadline and come whatever the situation may be, you don't have the chance to add that before you play in the playoffs, and you're going to play a team, whether it be Tampa or Boston or even Toronto, more than likely, that knows what it's doing in the playoffs. Washington knew what it was doing in the playoffs, and if they were slightly deeper and better, the Panthers don't win that series. Tampa sure as hell right. knew what it was doing. And that is the me the key thing from a, just an overall structural perspective that I want to see from this team is, are they adding those details, not necessarily right away, but as soon as possible? Because if they add those details, then I can start to understand, you know, this is then the plan, and that what Paul Maurice has said he's going to do, he's doing it. The longer it takes to do that, the more questions I'm going to have, and the longer it takes for these questions to be answered, the more concerned I'm going to be. Because right now, I am in some ways assuming that some of the questions are going to be answered, or if they're not necessarily answered, the team is talented enough to overcome some of those while they figure it out. But that does not go forever. Yeah, I mean, I have, I have a lot of questions as well. And so what I'm, what I'm really looking for is the team to tell me things. You know, you know, the coaching staff to tell me how they're going to use the roster. You know, I want to see them... I know it's going to be hard because of how close they, they've got themselves to the cap space and everything, but I, I was hoping to see them use more a little bit more of their depth at the beginning of this season, but maybe they'll use it over time. Like right now, I'm kind of hoping that, all right, they're going to just try to get minutes and stuff of stall early in the season, wave him, you know, towards the end of the season when he runs out of gas, you know, middle of the season when he runs out of gas, hopefully Carlson will come up. You know, and then they'll get stalled back for the playoff run or when they have new cap space or an injury or something like that. Um, and, and, you know, same with Hornquist and stuff. Like, you use him now in the beginning of the season, 
you know, Maurice likes to lean on vets. He wants to, you know, have the vets show this is how you play this system, yada, yada. And, you know, vets are more likely to be ready to go at the beginning of the year. At least that's what coaches think, you know, like oh, th these young guys, they might be thinking about, you know, on this road trip, you know, getting used to this or that, like, you know, Mark Stahl doesn't have to, you know, think about, you know, what I'm doing for a road trip, getting ready for a road trip is kind of a little more ingrained and, and, and kind of that, um, you know, I'm hoping that works out. I, I'm, I'm hoping that if it doesn't work out, the coaching staff and the players tell me that they can adjust um, because it's going to be a long season. Last season was the easiest regular season Florida Panthers fans probably will ever experience. Uh, everything they kind of broke the right. They made playoffs by October, whatever it was. Yeah. Like, and, they and, were already in. And it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, I mean, when games went bad, you always got – you. Most of the time, you got to come back to feel good at the end of it. Or, you know, you, whether they won or tied it in the loss or whatever, like 80% of the time, them getting blown out was met with them, like, filling the net, which it, it, it just – like, going to work for a lot of people is going to be a lot harder this year than last year, and they're going to be wondering why, and it's going to be because the Florida Panthers are picking up more losses. But I think that sure. everyone expects that to a degree. I don't know what that is right. for most of the fan and base. I don't know what that is for I, even and I most think of a the lot players. Of people, and I think a lot of people are overreacting. I know, I know like Wish was when he was on the podcast, and I don't disagree with him saying, you know, Florida might drop 20-some points, like high 20-some points versus last year. But if you really look back at it, okay, yeah, they had 122 points or 121 points last year. Dropping 20-some points puts them, you know, in the high 90s, which if you look at ineffective math, uh, you know, that's good for third in the division, which, which is, is right around... We, which is where both know, of us yeah, have and, and when you think about it yourself, is like realistic, like depending on health, them in Boston jockeying for that third in division makes a ton of sense. Even if, even if in your heart it's like, well, yeah, Toronto has terrible defense and goalies. We're already seeing a collapse, you know, in game one for them. Oh, so that like, was yeah. fun. That was very enjoyable. I mean, just to watch it on Twitter, yeah. and then you're texting me about Muzzin and Hall, and I'm just like, oh boy, that that that's yeah. great so, for I mean, Toronto like there, already. There are possibilities that you know Florida outperforms it, but it needs health. It needs Maurice to, like you said, do the things he said he was going to do, but also not change the things he said he wasn't going to change, which is that offensive jump, that uh, pace, that creativity, and that leash. That if they mess up and stuff, if they if they play that way, they're not going to get sat if, when it goes wrong because that's what helped lead to the comebacks. Like you can't make comebacks if you st if guy if you you know penalize guys because you're down four nothing on some pinches in the regular season. Like you can only get that comeback by continuing to play that way. I think uh, also there's a couple things with the schedule that I I know you don't want to list the schedule off, but gosh, the schedule yeah. is interesting to me because. You know, you got winnable games to start the year. You play the Flyers twice. They stink. You play Chicago. They stink. Okay? You play the Islanders twice. Now, I'm not saying you're going to beat them, but they swept them last year. And last year, of course, a lot of what happened is they got off to such a good start at home particularly. Obviously, they had the winning streak. But they were such a good home team, right? They don't start off with a ton of home games this year. And they also have you know, that road trip early in November where they're going out west to Arizona, San Jose, L.A., Anaheim. 
you know, that's early. They start with a lot of road games, and then they build up the home games. Then they've got a stretch of seven out of eight at home. Right. And that's what they need to find a way to do is they got to settle in early because a lot of what's happened with Panthers teams, and everybody who's listened to Y-Hockey for long enough knows this, they'd start slow, and then they'd have to chase. Last year, even with all that happened with Joel Quenville, they basically made the playoffs by, you know, the first week or two of the season that we already knew they were in. It was done. The situation was solved. You know, I, I like to say that that Carolina game at home on a Saturday night when Barkoff didn't play, they were up four nothing in the first period. That was it. I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think. Well, I don't want to oversimplify it. It's not like they they won nine games and there was seven and zero or whatever, so it meant that they were in the playoffs. Um, you know, there were some down times and things were, you know, the Panthers. Yes, they've won sixteen in a row, but they've also lost you know, 12 or 13 in a row in the past. So it's it's possible for them to do that again and have things go. Um, but like you said, one of the things Maurice is trying to do, and, you know, hopefully he's able to accomplish it, I'm very – I have my doubts, um, but is to have that consistency throughout the season where, you know, adversity isn't something – uh, to be scared of and is not something that keeps them down. Uh, so those losses don't stack One of the things we saw up. last year was that when they did face adversity in the regular season, it was very different than what happened when they faced it in the playoffs. When they faced it in the playoffs, well, it didn't look like they had answers. And this yeah. is one of the things I need this I, to show me. Solutions yeah. to problems. Yes. And I'm still, I'm still, I'm still just in shock that, you know, from – that Zito, some you know, didn't make these adjustments last year, and is now possibly over correcting in the off season, um, in in ways that kind of baffle baffle me as well. Um, so you know, it's concerning, and and I'm more just interested. Like they got 20, 25 games to really show me. You know, what should I expect? I mean, obviously, the base on expectation is. They should make the play. They have to make the playoffs to build any momentum in the fan base. They have to do two years in a row. Second, when they're in the playoffs, they have to show that they're playoff quality. That that hopefully means winning the first round and and seeing how far they can go. Um, but they at least have to go deep in the first round, play six, seven games, and and have it be playoff quality hockey, not where it's you know whatever that Washington first series first round series was because that was you know winning that was great it got gets you know the proverbial monkey off their back and stuff but you you know that wasn't a first series that you know you want to see the DVD of you know like I mean I, not... I go back and I look in my head at that series they played one good game in the entirety of that series that was game two the rest of yeah. it, there was a mess, at least shifts. at some point. Yeah. Some shifts, some, you know, just good storylines and things like that. I mean, but it yes, good coming time. back in Game 5 was great. The way they responded after a slow start in Game 6 was fun. But you can't win a Stanley Cup playing like that. Very few teams are no. able to do such things. And to me, the story for this team is going to be, are you going to add the playoff details, as I said, as soon as humanly possible? Because once you get into the playoffs, those got to be habits. For Tampa, yeah. it's a habit. For Colorado, now it's a habit. You know, for the I mean, teams, it's habits. But it's it's also, I mean, it's not. It, it, it'd be one thing if they kept the team. Then the whole storyline could be that. But but unfortunately, you know, even after saying that they weren't going to do major changes and stuff, keep, 
you know, Matt Kachuk, Matthew Kachuk, sorry, he doesn't like, he's not called Matt, um, but Matthew Kachuk wants to come to Florida, they do a whole 180, and, and, and they go get him. So now, so now it's not just about can they do, you know, can they play playoff hockey across the year and be ready for a playoff series, but it's also like can they, they have a new, um, in, in the past podcast, I called it like a formula with, you know, comparing it to Formula One and stuff and, and development of cars and stuff. But like they have a new roster, they have a new core. It's do they understand how to utilize and leverage that as best as possible? You know, do they do they get the best out of Kachuk? Do they get the best? Are they able to keep Barkov healthy and keep him, you know, 90 some points? Are they able to keep Ekblad healthy and at a Norris level and give him the support where he's not, you know, he doesn't feel like he has to be Chris Letang every night to, to get them through the playoff series. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot more questions on can this, can this team be grown and given support um, to accomplish what they need? So, so Maurice and Zito are now under heavier spotlights as much as the players are, you know, um, Barkov can't have, you know, uh, another year where he he plays well, but it's not well enough to bring up the team, and and he doesn't necessarily step up and and do a hail mary sort of effort, you know, and, and drag to, the team you a little know he's further. Do what he always does, but he cannot do it on his own. And that's one of the things that has worked so well for the Panthers the last couple of years is it wasn't just him. It was a lot of other but, guys. I mean, yes, but I mean, it's also like if, if that's what you need, if you if you're building and I mean, looking at some of these lines, man, they're going to need Barkov to go off in the playoffs and carry them if they want to go far. Like then you need to give him that support, which is why we talk about, you know, hopefully within the first 20 games, Kachuk's on his line and yeah. that. That, that to me is because, that to me is a must. I mean, I, you I, watch you you watch the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, if, when last night they against Vancouver, they had for once they went down three nothing. I mean, every other shift was Drysdale, McDavid, Kane, and like they just won because they just kept putting out because they just put their best guys with the best guys, and you know they were able to just make things out of nothing. And draw penalties and and work the refs and everything like that. It was clinical, clinical of just the star putting your star players together and letting them win a game. So if that's what you need, you know you have to kind of adapt to it and do that. Like you, if that's what you need, I don't think you can, uh, you know, try to run balance or a semblance of balance in your roster. I think you have to be a little more top heavy then. Um, and we you know, know Maurice likes to be top heavy with his and it's lineups. Not like and it's not like they're going to be stuck. I mean, to me, I think you could do like Kachuk, Barkov, Bowser's, Verhage, Lundell, Reinhardt, and then you have Lostrainen, Bennett, and you know, pick t- take your pick of Cousins, White, you know, Hornquist, Duclair, or you know, when, when Duclair's healthy. And that's a solid top nine. I mean, you can have Duclair up on the first line and Bowser's on the third line. You know, you can make some swaps and stuff. But, you know, that would still be a top heavy where, you know, you have your two best players together. They play with a complimentary winger. Then you have, you know, um, 
Verhage and Reinhardt, who are you know kind of your next best duo, you put them on your second second line. You, you you bump up Lindell to give him that opportunity and that support, and then Bennett can drive a line, you know, with with Law Stranen, who who make up for him defensively and, and kind of be able to play that position at times. Um, and then you know whoever whatever wingers going hot or goal scorer like Duclair. Um, you know, there's, I mean, I, I just, there's no, I don't, I don't see this, you know, the lines that they have now and kind of the way they're going, it seems like a, you know, um, a little more stale and a little less creative than kind of I was hoping to be, but hopefully that's because it's only on paper so far. You know, the, the, the hope is when things get on the ice and they start playing, they have a little success. They bring some confidence. They buy into the system a little more. And you start to see, you know, over time, you know, Maurice getting a little more creative, the team getting a little more responsible and finding that nice middle. Um, and, you know, I'm hopeful for it. I don't see any evidence, you know, too much evidence against it. It's kind of, you know, 50-50. And I just, I just want them to play hockey at this point. It's it's frustrating because, you know, we've talked about this all off season and now it's just like I need to say it because there's only so much we can yeah. say without the evidence. And now at least we're going to have some evidence and it's it's not going to be a one yeah. game thing. It's going to be multiple games. It's going to be weeks of hockey. There are going to be stories that have to be written yeah. as you I, I mean, happen. But like this is a big year as far because they have a lot of cap space this off season, Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of unknowns about the defense. You have a guy like Mahora who's young, and you're going to have to do something. He's arbitration eligible after this year. Uh, you have Carlson you're going to have to make a decision on. Uh, you know, you're going to have to get somebody to replace Gudis and Stahl. You know, there's going, there's going to be three defensemen, maybe four if you keep one of Mahora or Carlson, that are returning next year. Um, you need to figure out who has chemistry, who's staying, who's going. Um, you know, who's going to, like, if one of them has better chemistry with Montour or Forsling or something like that, that's going to give them the edge. Uh, so I want to see those, exper- I want to see that experimentation too. And the best place to do that is early in the year, you know. You're playing the Flyers if, twice, they're garbage. You're playing yeah. the Husk of the Blackhawks, they're also garbage. Yeah, I mean, like, you got to see what Kirstead is because, you know, at a certain point, you can't keep giving reps to Kirstead if Ludwig's like, okay, yeah, I made up for the time I missed and I'm ready to go. And, you know, you have Kanunin and Shallon and, and you know, there's there's guys who are, you know, Gildan, you know, is, is a guy that they kept in camp a while and, you know, has had some AHL success and he's going to want an opportunity. You know, you, you kind of have to start moving, filtering through guys and start making decisions on them. So when you do go to use this cap space and stuff, you you're comfortable with the assets you're you you want to move on from, and you and you know what tool sets, skill sets, and roles you need to fill. So it's easier to accurately, because it's not like they're gonna get a call next year where the Matthew Kachuk of defenseman is like, hey, um, you know. I'm an RFA. I worked out with my team. I'm allowed to talk to other teams. Like, I'd be really interested. Do you want me? I don't think that's going to happen every offseason. They're going to have to, you know, figure out how They're they want to spend their money. They're going to have to be creative like they have been and I mean, like, some of the guys they hey, had. Do you, like, 
like if they can if they can make Mahora and Carlson work, if they think that they got some young guys going and they're like, okay, if we focus on getting a guy like Orlov who's, you know, not too old but very experienced, has won a cup, you know, maybe we can you know, has experience in the East, in the playoffs in the East, you know, maybe we can bring him in. And, uh, you know, for a little cheap, but then use all this cap space on Pasternak or something like that, you know, because there's going to be some, the, the better players in free agency usually are the forwards and the better ones to bet on are usually the forwards. So if you can take care of your stuff defensively or get a upside defenseman trading Dennis Anko and use that cap space, you know, take care of that this year. So when July 1st rolls around next year, you can, you know, throw up an offer to, to Pasternak, who knows? I want to talk quickly about goaltending before we move on to some other topics because it's very funny how we're doing Panthers previews and any of you who are longtime Y Hockey listeners know how many questions we've had about goaltending for years. It's very funny how we're doing this and I'm just going, I don't really have any questions about it. I just need to see how they're used. What are they going to do in terms of using Bobrovsky and Knight? The biggest question about goaltending to me is, is Spencer Knight going to start to live up to the hype and now his contract? Because we've seen it in fits and spurts. We've seen those moments. He's gotten a couple shutouts. Everybody remembers game five in 2021. We know the talent is there. Sergei Bobrovsky is the number one. There's nothing wrong with that. He had his best season as a Panther last year and was more than good enough in the playoffs. People are asking whether Knight's going to eventually take over this job. I think that's a good problem to have if it happens. But again, like everything else, I have questions about whether it will or not. And I need to see it from Spencer Knight. And that means... He's got to earn that job and take it from Sergei Bobrovsky at some point, and that means he probably has to play better than him because I'm not going to assume that Sergei Bobrovsky is going to be the one we saw when he came to Florida and he was bad because the team around him was bad. I mean, the defense has issues, let's be clear, but Sergei Bobrovsky last year played for a wide-open team and had, you know, was positive goal saved above average or whatever the stat you want to use. Sergei, uh, Sergei is going to not give up that job easily, Spencer Knight's got to go and earn it, so let's see it. Because for me, Spencer Knight will be the starter one day. There's no doubt about that. But I'm not just going on hype and pedigree here. His agent's leverage. I want to see him earn it. I I mean, listen, I've never been Spencer Knight's biggest fan. I think, you know, he's a top-tier goalie. I don't see him as a generational goalie, if only because I can name, you know, five other goalies that are right there with him. Um, right now, uh, you know, as far as his talent level and stuff, uh, Askarov um, in Nashville, there's Wallstad, there's uh, Kosa in Detroit, Wallstad's in Minnesota. Um, you know, there's Sorokin, there's Sesterkin. I mean, there's... Vasilevsky's you know, not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I'm definitely forgetting... Uh, Jeremy you know, Swayman might be that in Boston. Well, yeah, I don't know about Swayman, but Ottinger is, you know, first-round pick. You know, I think it was 19th overall or something. That's not too far I mean, off if he third. plays anything like he did in that Calgary series, then yeah. they, they have a, a star, and not just literally and figuratively. But Spencer Knight's got to live up to that, and he's now being paid as such. And so it's not about just hype anymore and the prospect viability that has been fueling Spencer Knight for years. It's now you've got to prove it. He's in the same – he's got a different coach, but he's got the same goalie coaches around him. He's got that same brain trust around him. You know, Luongo and Rob Tallis and Leo Luongo, whatever you want to say about them, he's got to earn it now. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not the, just that. 
he hasn't played any games. Like, I mean, we've talked about it before. He's never played like forty some, like fifty games for a team, one team in a year. He's never like so. You don't know what he's going to have as a starter role. Uh, you know, when he gets to his starter, the weakness was not that he wasn't technical or ready enough for NHL shots fast enough. You know, he can read tra- and read through traffic and everything. The issues were all mental for him last year, giving up early goals, giving up, you know, weak goals, soft goals, um, getting into funks, not being able to consistently start a game. Those are the things that were the issue with him. And when there's top, like, that's the reason goalies with his talent don't make it. I mean, everybody knows Marty Baron as, you know, very funny and everything and, and those beautiful blue eyes. But, you know, beyond that, he was a goalie with a ton of promise that kept letting in soft goals and, and just could never, you know, that's how you become a backup goalie. I mean, Carter and, Hart, let's, let's be clear. I mean, he's going yeah, through that too. starting to get that way. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that there's a chance there's every bit of a chance that he outplays Bob this year, but there's every bit of a chance that he underplays or continues his trend from last year where they might have to send him up and down in the AHL to get him playing time. They might have to do some things with him um, because my concern is the mental, co- the mental stuff, the, the is, is from not playing enough, not, not being a starter in the AHL for a year, having the highs and lows, having the experiences to get through it, you know, and, and that's why he, he finds it hard to start games. If he started more professional games, it wouldn't be as much of an issue and it wouldn't be as much of a pressure cooker uh, for him. So, you know, how is he going to get that playing time? Because the thing that we saw with Bobrovsky is uh, the more time he plays, the more comfortable he is. And, uh, you know, once he has his confidence, you want to keep that going. So even if Talis and Luongos and, and uh, you know, whoever's in the department this year put together a schedule, you know, at times it might hurt Bob to stick to the schedule because he's on a roll. And, and you know, this was a Spencer Knight start. And if they give it to Knight, you're taking Bob out of rhythm. Um, and, you know, maybe that helps Knight's development, but that might put Bob off and it'll funk and hurt your, you know, get, take Bob a cup, give him a bad game when he comes back, you know? So, um, it's a balancing you know, act, of, but you have the two goalies. Like when you look at other teams, like, you know, obviously Toronto, I mean, that's the obvious example and other teams that have a lot of promise, but have goaltending issues. Like, I think for some of you say, Oh, these are good problems to have, but it's on, Paul Maurice to also balance that too. He has to know, right? Because in Winnipeg, he just said, Connor Hellebuck, go save us. It's very different when you're going with Bobrovsky, who has not just the contract, but is somebody who is a very based on rhythm goaltender and can get up and down. And you've also got this young player who they've invested a lot in and you have to build him up and you have to get him to that level. That's a balance that they have to strike. And last year, it didn't really happen because I'm going to ask you honestly, did you expect Spencer Knight at some point to overtake Bobrovsky last year? Because I kind of did. Why? It from, never happened. From what evidence? Well, I thought uh, I mean, it was like, going to happen what, maybe like, because of Bobrovsky's. Because, because of who, what people say he can be. I mean, like, he, his, the end of his college career was, was not good. Uh, then he forced himself right into NHL games, and the majority of his starts were bad. They were just bolstered by when they weren't bad. He had some really nice moments, 
And, you know, one of those nice moments in games was a playoff game, so it counts as, like, four in people's mind. But then that that's all it was. And then So why would I expect him to outplay Bobrovsky over a full year as in his first professional year? Like, I think some of these... The the idea of what we have in Spencer of Spencer Knight and the and the expectations we have on him, this contract and everything is so far out out blown out of proportion of what we've actually seen since he's left the U.S. development program, since he's been drafted, uh, since he's turned pro, um, and I I just to me it's not helpful, and I just think you know he's got it like you know as much as you don't want him to kind of prove that he's a good backup because you you don't he's not a backup i think he's just got to prove that he's shown an ability to learn from his first pro year start to get into a groove start to find confidence and my hope is that they play him both in the nhl and ahl so he can play like 60 some games i mean he's young he wants to play you, you can tell he wants to play a lot so play him a lot and if you tell him like hey you you're you don't have to go through waivers. We're gonna send send you down every time there's a like three games in in four days for the AHL or something when we can, uh, because we want you to play. We want you to to play as much as possible. I think they wanted to do that last year and it just never really happened. You know, they probably yeah, planned on doing it during an Olympic break that never ended up happening, and then Bobrovsky either got hurt or I, sick and just never did. I mean. The the issue with that is you're asking Spencer Knight to give up money, um, and that the well, issue based on clearly doesn't want seen. Yeah, so so I mean, like I don't I think that he also can possibly stop stop that uh, from happening, uh, which isn't great. Um, but you know, I'm not worried about the goalies. I mean, but eventually the thing is like you you gotta navigate the bob situation you got to develop knight because you put a lot in his basket to be the solution to the bob situation yes you got some decent goalie you got a decent goalie prospect you got guzda um you know so you're not totally if screwed if both of these guys you know end up not working out but uh it's just got to be managed and i don't necessarily trust rob thomas not Rob Thomas. Please. Rob Thomas. Um, want to be lonely no more. I mean, I I, I wonder if he's better at singing um, than being a goalie coach. But oh, no. um, Rob Thomas karaoke. I'm I'm not interested in that. Yeah, I'm sure Rob Thomas is a great guy, but the why he still has a job is is beyond me. Um, well, they had both... to keep somebody around from tenure anyway. Uh, just 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 to wrap up our our thoughts about this team. I think we've talked pretty much at length about everything we see there's a lot of questions we don't have answers till we see the games we're gonna it's not just a one game thing it's gonna take many games for us to see what this is to see how they respond to challenges what kind of answers they have to some of the questions that i think everybody has because in the end i think that this team is plenty enough talent up front and even someone on the back end to answer those questions and be what they can be even if they're nowhere near what they were a year ago, because what they were a year ago is just not something that they can be again. But if they are a sustainable group in that way, the consistency's there. They get everybody gelled together, and Paul Maurice does what he says he's going to do, and the team's going to be fine from a regular season perspective. I hope that we don't have to have the alarm bells of saying, oh, they got to get it going at some point. 
but again, these are questions. I think we will. I mean, I, I think, I think what you need to expect is there's going to be times where they do really good. There's going to be times where they do really bad and you want to, and you, and, and they, you're, you're asking for the line blender. You're asking for the power play coach to be fired. You're, you know, you're shaking, you're, you know, you're turning off the TV and stuff like there's going to be those moments. But all, the overall picture is the they should be in the playoffs. They should be in the top three of the division, um, likely third, but still, you know, that's not too bad. And, uh, you know, they should be in a better position to enter the playoffs than they were last year. And, you know, so you just got to focus on that through through all of the in the moments, you know, yelling at Maurice and his coaching staff for the D pairs or whatever I'm going to be doing. Which we are going to do because it's hard to sometimes remember the bigger picture when you are dealing with a team that has so many questions and sometimes the answer to those questions in the moment might well, not be what you want. And, and you know, and the frustration of going from... Also, I'm going to make this point, and this is not... Like, don't look at things that people are tweeting about Huberto and Uyghur in Calgary at times. It's just better for your mental health if you don't do I mean, that. They're, on a, they're on a good team that's going to cater to their strengths in a way that Florida... And weaknesses in the way that Florida can't or wouldn't. So, you know, just, and they're in a much easier division. So just remember that. Uh, but also, like, uh, what was I going to say before that? Uh, I, I just think I focusing something. on what other teams sometimes do in the early season, it's just not, it's just not worth it. Like, don't focus. Like, if there's a team out there that you don't like for whatever reason, or you don't like their fans, and you don't like the discourse oh. about them on Twitter, don't focus on that while the Panthers are figuring themselves out. That's not going to make your mental health any better either. Because I, I know some people are going to do that. I know you're going to see the Hubert Owen Uyghur tweets from Panthers fans, and that's just not healthy. I know people are going to say, oh, Boston looks good, or what, or this, that, and the other thing. Don't worry about it. And I also think that people like have to expect the frustration and the adjustment from the this the mentality last year of we're going for it we're we're winning the the things that Zito's doing is for this year to win this year moves Zito's doing and moves the coaching staff doing can fall under the auspice of we're trying to get better for you know later we're not necessarily like they're trying to win a playoff round this year i don't know if they're necessarily the goals winning a cup um, realistically, they so can. I think that's going to be like, frustrating. There's no doubt that they still there is a world in which they right. do, but, but there's but not that's... as much of a chance as last year because last year was such a special, unique season where you had to do all of the well, things that they I don't. Did. I, I think that's cutting them. Too. It's 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 that season because they made it that season. You're true. That's true. I mean, it's kind of like you know they made it that season, and, and they were so scared that. They, they, they couldn't repeat or do well that they had to change course. Unlike Calgary, who, who looked fear in the eye and said, we can, still, we can still do as good as last year. We can do, do even better. And, you know, who knows what would happen to Florida. You know, in a different reality, Florida has, gone, has continued to gone, go for it this year and is keeping their foot on the gas. And maybe that reality, they win a cup. Maybe this reality, they win a cup or win more cups. Who knows? Um, but it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, but I think that there is a frustration in in not just me, but in, in some of the fans I've talked to, in 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 you know 
changing expectations that a lot of things that they're going to be doing, it might not necessarily be the best for wins now uh, and might be under them, whatever they're trying to do to win in the future. Uh, and it's going to be hard to accept, but you know, that's the way it is. You might, you know, I might want them to be moving Denisenko or something and improving this defense right now. They might want to be waiting for that because they don't, they're not, that's not necessarily a today concern. Yeah, there are a lot of questions about what this team is and also the mindset of going from, yeah, no, we're still trying to win, but it's not the same sort of all in, all out aggressiveness that there was because we feel that we have to be a little bit more sustainable for whatever reasons that they, that they have cooked up. And some of them, of course, are very legitimate. Others will have to see what happens. And some of that is, of course, you lose so much on your back end. You lose a heart and soul player in Huberto. Everyone already knows that. So that's the Panthers. We are going to keep, obviously, very close eyes on that as the start of the season begins. And, you know, I, I really hope that this year both Kachuk and Barkov hit 100. Uh, Ekblad wins the Norris. I hope... You know, Montour plays 25 minutes every night and looks amazing. You know, Forzen looks sick. I hope that there's guys I haven't even heard of that are going to be, you know, 15 Rudolph goal scorers for the Panthers. The next yeah. part of Verhage. Well, I've heard of him, but yeah. Like, you know, I, I hope that, you know, every, every single thing Florida does works out perfectly and they have a sick year because if they can, if they can have another good regular season – you know, put up 98 points, put up maybe a, maybe touch 100 points or something like that, uh, you know, have a good couple rounds in the playoffs, you know, first and second round and a good second round fight. I think that they would show show people and their fan base that this is a real franchise. You know, you know they made some changes and they can still be good year to year. And uh, that is something that I'm so excited. If they can pull it off, it'll be... The first time in what twenty some years? Well, they'll they'll I think be actually considered a real franchise. Like last right. year was yeah, awesome, but I don't know how many and and the COVID years are the COVID years. Yeah. But if you build this team into being something that is truly, like, legitimately sustainable in the way that I think the front office thinks it can be, then you now have a real franchise. You have a franchise that isn't just good in these supernova type years where things are special. And then people stop for uh, stop remembering about the the Panthers, and they go back to the Heat in the in the winter. You know, they they then become more than what they have been, and the sustainability is there. You know, and I think the as we've always said, the people of South Florida and the people who follow this team, they just want them to be consistently good. They don't want to be you know every four years they show up, people go to the building, and then they get bad again, and we're back to the same discussion. That's not what they. That's not what hopefully they're going to be. Because if they are that this year we are what they say they you know they're they're third in the atlantic they win maybe a series you know and they prove okay this is a team that is going to be here for a long time they earn a respect in the marketplace in a way that you know we talked about it before all these cool things that they're doing all of the cool marketing ideas all of it that's great but when it comes down to brass tacks in Palm Beach, Broward, and Dade, the only thing that matters is whether you win or not. That's it. Yeah. Cool marketing is great. Yeah. Winning is better. You, you, I, I'm tired of seeing the articles saying about, you know, what Kachuk's going to do for hockey off the ice in Florida and all of this stuff. What I don't For care. hockey off the ice is winning. Like, yes, yes. I mean, he'll, he'll do all of that stuff, but 
the only way it ever really cements itself and takes off is if they win and win consistently. You know, be in the playoffs every year. Where if they don't make the playoffs, it's like, wait, what the hell? You know? Um, and you don't want to be a franchise so, that, you tell, that you tone down your expectations for. And that is something yeah. that they're not entirely there yet. But if they do what we think they can do this year, then at this point, you will then say, all right, we are treating you like the great franchises of the league. The expectations are there. And that suits this franchise well. Because I still think there are people out there maybe some fans, but maybe the people in the market who have never taken the Panthers all that seriously, they're still waiting to see, oh, are you, are you still, do you still have the old Panthers at heart? Or have you really turned this over? And are you something that you've never been before? Because they really haven't ever been that. Hold on. Uh, just, just real quick. Uh, just follow up on my port. Uh, Mahora is 24. Kierstead is 24. Uh, Kanunen, 23. Shallon, 23. Gildan, 23. Ludwig is turning 23. Carlson's 25. They have a lot of D right in this prime age in their mid-20s. So I guess that's the upside that you're hoping for. But just going back to how much they need to like filter through these guys, that, that's why, man. I'm excited to see that. I, I want to I see who these guys are, finally. And also, we have a, a situation where the Panthers have an American Hockey League team for the first time <laughs> ever. Well, okay, not ever. First time since 2019. They have an actual AHL affiliate that they fully own and operate. and That I would and, recommend going to a game and buying a ticket. Maybe we're going to do that when they play up at Lehigh Valley and do an in-depth Y hockey scouting experience from, from Allentown. That might happen at one yeah. point. Uh, a couple other topics I want to get to before we begin uh, wrapping this thing up. As I just saw when we mentioned on the show, the Flyers, for whatever reason, are, are – looking for an extension for Trent. What are they doing? I am, I am, they're going to be terrible this year. I don't Everybody know, knows this. But as I have said it on this podcast before, and I really do think that the trust the process has poisoned the well for the Philadelphia Flyers to a point where they can't think straight. But, I, but it doesn't make, to me that can't make sense because they're doing a process. Like, it, like they're, they're asking the, they're still asking the the fans to trust the process because the fans are saying, what the heck's going on? We don't like this. We don't understand this. And they're saying, hey, Chuck knows what he's doing. Trust Chuck. You know, that's that's the same thing. Trust Chuck and trust the process is ultimately the same. Mm-hmm. It's just so frustrating. But uh, they're going to be bad, and uh, they might be in the Carter Bedard sweepstakes anyway. Yeah. I mean, yeah, poor kid. I mean, if they get Bedard, and maybe they'll go after, like, Matthews when he's a free agent or something. But they'll have to get a center for him. At some point, they'll have a bunch of overpriced defensemen uh, that maybe will help him if he's, you know, getting challenged for a fight. But, you know, other than that, I mean, I like Sandheim and stuff, but $6 million, when you're seeing a guy like Uyghur who probably had, what, three years as, like, the un most underrated defenseman or at least two seasons as the most underrated defenseman, you know, publicly get six two five long-term and then talking about six long-term for Sandheim, it's like... What has he done, though? I mean, like, yeah, Philly's bad and everything, but, like, I can't even remember, like, many games or things like that where he really, like, stood out or, like, was, you know, six million. F high fours, sure. You know, like, it is a big clip, and that's a lot of belief in a guy who, in my mind, hasn't been, you know, a top 15 draft pick like he was. 
it would have been interesting to see what he would have gotten on the open market. Uh, but obviously, yeah, no, and that's not, not the, and, you know, and and you say, okay, well, you know, they gave five something to 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 D'Angelo and and Ristolainen, and it's like, well, Sanheim, you know, is probably like, well, I'm better than them, and he sees that, you know, Provorov got six something, and he's probably like, I can be better than Provorov down the line. You're you're probably looking, and we know you're looking to trade Provorov, so like, you know. Uh, I should be getting around that money. But then if you're the Flyers, you can just trade him, not give him that contract. You're like, you don't have to give him that contract. You already have your wrist aligned in D'Angelo's to like stick around for a couple of years while you're bad and just eat shots and, and play a lot of minutes. But like you, you, I think you could have made, you could have gotten a lot back for Sandheim versus Imagine what captain. he can get. At the trade deadline, because everybody well, wants a think, good defenseman like that. Think about this. Think about this. Think about what Alex Roma, Romanoff got. Think about what Niles Lundqvist got. Like those, those guys got first round picks, and and you know in Lundqvist, in Lundqvist, I think it was more than that. It was the first and, another pick. Yeah. So like, I mean, Sanheim is probably going to get you a first and a prospect. Maybe maybe it's not you know a great prospect, but think about hey. this for a second. As I'm, I apologize for interrupting, let's think about the teams that don't get Jacob Chikrin, for instance, because somebody's not going to get him yeah. and probably wants him. You're then going to have a desperate team, and I'm going to give my uh, Y hockey example. Let's say it's the Kings. Let's say the Kings, who've wanted Jacob Chikrin, don't get him. What could the Kings offer the Philadelphia Flyers? They've got a bunch of young forwards that might not be there yet, and they don't hey, need first picks. plus a young forward. Done. How much better do the Flyers look if they have, say, Gabe Velarde? I'm just throwing out an example. It might not be right. that. But also, what if it's Ottawa? Ottawa needs a defenseman. Okay? They don't get Chikrin. What do they offer? They don't need as many draft picks. What if they offer, say, first and, say, one of the defensemen that are out there that's not working out for them? Or one of these other draft picks, you know, that's not yep. working out for them? How much better do the Flyers look in that situation if you're trading Sanheim? Sometimes you just have to admit that it's time to cut the cord. And they don't want to do it. They and won't. it's really, really stupid. And, again, they might luck out and get one of the great players at the top of the draft anyway. But that doesn't mean that they deserve it. Now, I'm not saying that they should go scorched earth tanking like the Blackhawks who put out a lineup that was, I mean. I think they should. I, I think, mean, that I they, think should. they should too, but they might not. But you don't have to necessarily do I that they, in order they to should be, be bad. Getting, I think they should be getting Ed Schneider's wife on the phone with Gary Bettman begging for the first overall draft pick. I think they should be attacked. Like, I I honestly think okay, the bet like it, Comcast is all about easy like fixing this easy. I mean they'll throw money at it, but they want this done. They just want this fixed. They don't want the Flyers to be a problem anymore. They, you know, like they they should just be doing everything to get Connor Bedard because he is that player. Uh, and you know if you if you do everything you can, and for whatever reason you don't get him, you know. The second, third, or fourth, and then next year getting a, a, a defenseman or something like that, you know, being bad for a couple of years, that that works too. But that's the fastest way because what what they're doing now is going to give them maybe a couple first round exits and then starting from scratch. I you know I don't think that that is what they're looking for because I think what they're looking for is consistent playoff berths. They don't necessarily care about winning a cup but they want consistent playoff revenue getting a guy like bedard basically just gives you that consistent playoff revenue 
kind of the way that McDavid and Dreisaitl will give that to Oilers. The Oilers Enough might to charge never... for those incredible, incredible right. like, food deals at Rogers like, Place or whatever the hell the ring is oh, called. Oh, yeah, yeah, jeez. $36 for pop, two popcorns. $36 Canadian in the world where the U.S. dollar is, I mean, I mean that's that's hilarious. But, but I mean, like, it doesn't matter, like, it doesn't matter how bad the roster construction is in Edmonton. They're making the playoffs every year because they have two of the top five forwards in the league. Um, or two of the top five players in the league. If Philadelphia could even just get one of the top five players in the league who, you know, some of the guys at the top of the draft are possibly could be when they get into their prime. And then next year do the same thing in two drafts that are going to be the best drafts in a bit, you know, that gives them the advantage. That gives them basically a key to automatic playoff revenue. And again, do you think... That the, I mean, I'm not saying that the National Hockey League is going to rig draft lotteries. They will never do that, and I think all of that talk is ridiculous. I think, but I think the, they already have. Not be a I think they have, and I think uh, they will again. This, is, this, this opinion is not endorsed by the entirety of Why Hockey LLC. Um, it anyway, is well, it's, I mean, you can say what and, you want. And, I'm, I'm never putting my name on that. Uh, l- l- but I will say this. If Connor Bedard was in Philadelphia, the rabid sports market of Philadelphia, the NHL would make oodles Millions. of money. Lots and lots of yes, he would. They would make money if he was in Chicago. But come on, he would. I mean, no. look at the Flyers of the past when they were good. The league succeeds. It's simply that. I mean, look I, at what's happening with the NFL making oodles of money because the Eagles are good. And, and I don't. And the Phillies. I mean, I'll, like, I'll say this. Like, okay, I'll use your hypothetical. If the NHL were to ever do something nefarious like that, Chicago, I think. Would is not as much of a money cow as Philadelphia would be because Philadelphia is like Chicago. Like how much? Like Chicago's already just recently done that. They they've had three cups or whatever. You know they the the core some of the core guys are still there. They've had this big scandal. I don't think you, that you would be able to get that much out of them. Yes, Chicago's a big market and with a lot of people who like hockey, so it wouldn't be bad. But Philadelphia has been waiting for, like, a Lindros part two. And as much as they've really liked Claude Giroux and everything and Simone Gagne and, and some of the players and they had Keith Forsberg Primo for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like, all that. when they had Lindros, it was a, it was a golden goose for the NHL. And it you would know what's be the funny same. about that? I yeah. found, they're, they're on YouTube, is the uh, first time Eric Lindros came back to Philadelphia as a Ranger. And that game, and I mean, I was too young to remember that. I don't. I remember you know, it. I know I you remember, do, but I don't. I was playing. I was playing mini hockey in a basement with with a kid that I played travel hockey with at his house, and we were watching it, and and we were just reenacting the plays in mini hockey and stuff, and booing Lindros and all this stuff. Like it I was. Mean, it was the one of the, the crazier like athlete returns. In general, because, and then you also have it with the Flyers and Rangers, which makes yeah. it even nuttier. And it just reminded me of just like the Lindros situation with the Flyers. And it, again, a lot of that happened when I was too young to really pay attention to it properly. But just in, in back of the service of the main point, if the superstar comes to Philadelphia, like generational type superstar comes to Philadelphia, the NHL is in much better shape. Yeah, because even if it doesn't work out, TV games that they show every year from the Flyers because they're the Flyers. 
people are going to watch and the local viewership for the Flyers goes up. All of it. Yeah. Even if it doesn't work out, people are going to be buying his jerseys to burn it. People are going to be crowding the, like we see with the Lindros. Like, you know, like it, no matter how it works, the people of Philadelphia will spend money to express their opinion about Philadelphia it. Philadelphia is the sports market of, I mean, again, times it's absolutely bananas and insane. And I'm right. also thinking about it because we're recording this of the weekend when the Eagles are playing the Cowboys hey, I mean, and they're unbeaten. If they could get if they could get Matt V. Mishkov in this draft, like you know, because you know there are going to be three teams that are most likely going to be worse than them. So Arizona, the Chicago, and Montreal. Although Montreal the looked pretty decent against the but Maple if they, Leafs. If they, I mean, like if they could get. Matt V. Mishkov in second, third, or fourth. I mean, with that Russian factor, and you know, he is signed for a couple of years. Like, I don't think he can come over till 2025 or something like that. But, like, hey, given some of the contracts and how bad Philadelphia might have to be for a while to support whoever they get in this draft early on, that might not be the worst thing in the world. Like, you know, like they could, in theory, still, uh, you know, benefit from that because it's. If they get Bedard, who's going to be scoring maybe, you know, 60, 70 points on their first line the next year, helping them maybe win a few more games. So it'll yeah, be interesting. It's, it's but definitely sucking, possible. So, sucking is be good for Philadelphia. And, you know, the, the biggest matchup. Plan and they want hope. And right now they have neither. The, the biggest matchups is Torts versus, you know, the different beat writers. So. Well, uh, poor, poor, some of the beat writers on the Flyers beat, who I really do like reading their work, and I'm very interested. Because in it's going to get frustrating, I oh, imagine. Boy. By the end of the I piece. mean, when they play the the Tortorella sludge hockey and they're going to overtime every night, and they're not really as bad as some people think they should be. Oh boy! Uh, a couple other things around the league that I wanted to uh, talk about. It's really funny how we're talking about former Panthers defenseman on this day. I do find Riley Stillman ending up in Vancouver after all this time kind of funny. He uh, he got walked last night. Well, that's not a surprise. He's, he's playing, uh, again, that Canucks defense, it's just not good enough for me. Um, well, to... if you're worried about Riley Stillman, wait till you see about the Florida blue line. Well, yes, I will always be worried. Well, also, or the Anton Philadelphia Stroll... blue line. Anton I mean, Stroman signed with the Bruins. Good for him. I mean, good, good for him still getting out there. I mean, good for Florida as well, but good for him. I mean, I, I appreciate I appreciate Anton Stallman's commitment. I mean, he played in Arizona last year. You know the Bruins are going to be fine. I mean, I'm not going to make comments based on He just wants game. to play in an NHL arena one more year before retiring. That's that's fair enough for him. And, you know, it's not it's not the college arena at Arizona State. It's really funny how the Panthers are going to play one of the first games in that building. Like the, like the third game is Florida at Arizona. That's going to be a really interesting story. Uh, a couple, uh, just a, a few things of watching some of the games. Uh, it doesn't matter because these are early season games and it, 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 who cares. But, you know, I still think Tampa's going to be fine. They were fine five on five. The Rangers power play still looks like the Rangers. A lot of power play goals the first two nights of the season. I mean, not beginning of the year, the refs are terrible. They call everything. Yes, they do. Yes, about they 25 do. games. You watched the season. you watched the Toronto Montreal and the Vancouver Edmonton games. I didn't. I I watched some of the the TNT games. Yeah, I had um, Columbus on Carolina on more than the Toronto uh, Montreal game, but I did see I Toronto Montreal. Sucks. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure he'll be fine. I hope so, because I, I mean, we always have a soft spot for Columbus on this show. I like, I like what the Blue Jackets do. Um, I have to say, also, just tracking the game tracker of Seattle Anaheim was kind of hilarious. You know, like they give up a goal in the first minute, Seattle, and they come back, they dominate, and yet they still lose. 
Ducks are going to be a fun bad team this year. They're not going to be good, but they're going to be fun, and that's always that's always interesting. You're going to see a lot of them this year. Uh, is there any other team out there that you're just you're going to have? I mean, we know you're going to watch Colorado, obviously, because Dallas. We are. Dal- yeah, I mean, I'm Dallas. I'm in the stars. Every, everybody's saying Heiskanen's going to break out with the boar. You know, he can he can bring it. Um, and then you know, I, I, I you know, I think their defense is is. Interesting. There's a lot of interesting pieces and players I like watching. Mason Marshment to see how he does. Mm-hmm. Rupa Hintz is fun to watch. Pavelski is always fun to watch. So uh, I think that their watchability is high, and uh, it's always well, they're e- not playing uh, up. You know, they're not playing Rick Bonus hockey anymore. So that definitely yeah. increases the, their their ceiling. You know, so I really like them. I, and- I had I had some fun watching that that Vegas LA game. You know, I you know what I think about the Kings. I've made that clear already, yeah. and it, it has nothing to do with the fact that I happen to know people for the Kings. You know, well, know things about the Kings because of people I know, but. Also, I think that that team's just really good, and I think their upside's really high, and people are underselling that their upside's really high. Vegas, I mean, you know, I, I think it was, a, it was just one interesting watching Bruce Cassidy coach the Golden Knights, and they had 50-plus shots already. You know, so we're always wondering, like, it was last year a fluke because of the injuries. Uh, I mean, you know, I, want to see, I can't wait to see Phil Kessel get to, you know, not only break Keith Yandel's record, but he's going to play a thousand consecutive games, and that's good. And you know Vegas is going to do something wacky for that ceremony. That'll be fun. So that will be interesting. Obviously, I'm interested in Vegas. And also, I mean, there is a part of me very morbidly wondering just how bad some of these bad teams are going to be. Like, how bad is Arizona going to be? The, the Blackhawks looked terrible against the Avs, but they were always going to because that was banner-raising. And you know what's really funny about that? Blink-182 reuniting. And uh, I'm going to – I've made it clear on this podcast. Justice before. for Matt Skiba. <laughs> justice for Matt Skiba. Can I have Let justice off for my alien. eardrums that I don't have to hear Blink-182 because I really cannot stand them? And this might be just me being irrational, but I saw some tweet going around like, is there a song that you just, out of complete irrationality, you, have, you hate it for whatever reason and you turn it off? And I was going to tweet the Blink-182 catalog, but I didn't do that. But I've made it clear that and, – and last night when they got whoever it was that was there to, to, you know, to do their stupid sing-along, it's the only unlikable thing about the Avs. I was like, all right, I'm going back to baseball. I would rather willingly watch the Atlanta Braves win a playoff game and do their racist chant than watch the – and that's saying something – than have to listen to a Blink-182 sing-along for any amount of time because I cannot stand that band. That's just me. Um, maybe I'm irrational. I just, maybe I'm a weirdo. I it, am. It, I mean – I, I get it. I mean, like the pee and poop stuff is. I'm done. I'm, I mean, like, their new I don't really song find that funny. is called and, "Edging." How old are they? And and you know, if you really want, if you really want that kind of stuff, there's better. You know, Frank Zappa for it. So <laughs> I, mean, I mean, again, their new song yeah, is called "Edging." I, it I doesn't bother me 50s. that it doesn't bother me that much because to me, there's so much even worse music out there that like I, I've had enough Green Day. I've had enough of. Uh, uh, I mean, oh, Green Day was the, the NHL's official band Dragons. for two years. Oh, Imagine Dragons like, is terrible. You know, so like I, I, you know, I've had enough Post Malone. I've had enough Sean Mendez. Like, so like I, whatever. Like, you think the NHL is eventually going to have Sean Mendez at one of their events because the star has fallen and he's Canadian? I think it's going to happen at one it's day. It's going to be Sean Mendez and Michael Bublé hosting an awards night. It's going to be. It's going to be called NHL Awards the Musical. 
with with musical guests, the Arkells, because obviously that's going to happen. Uh, so yes, Blink One Eighty Two, not a favorite band of uh, your friend Matt Listed Styler here. Uh, n- not, not uh, good. Yeah, I mean, like definitely get in your newfound glory. You know, listen to some of them. You know, definitely get in some of you know that pop punk emo. Stuff, I mean, I would but... rather listen to some good Charlotte than Blink-182. <laughs> I don't that, know that's, about that. that that's not, that's I don't not. know about that. I'd rather listen to the anthem than all the small things. I'll say that. I will. Uh, and we have to end this podcast because we do need to talk about the Hockey Canada stuff. When we recorded this, we just uh, on Monday had heard that Andrea Skinner resigned in the middle of a Blue Jays playoff collapse, which top-tier news dump, one of the craziest news dumps I've ever seen in my entire life. And yet... And yet, now the entire board resigned. They had to, but they had a proverbial gun to their head. You know, the sponsor had been dropping out. They tried out not like to. Life. Oh, they, no, they, they, did they the very much did the I'm backed in the corner and I don't care how many people I'm taking down with me thing that is sadly very prevalent in society and it's gross. Sometimes you cannot do what you need to do with dignity and understand that it's you that they all have, you know, the guns pointed at. Uh, I've heard some other things about what was going on with Hockey Canada that's, again, not nothing like in terms of craziness, in terms of other scandals, but just they, they had guns pointed to their head, and they finally resigned. But that is step one of about 15 that they need to take, because now who's going to replace them? Are they actually going to do the work in repairing the rot that's in the walls? You know, I'm thinking of yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, whole... who get, and who gets to choose who replaces that's them? Another Obviously, question. it can't I, – I don't think it can – like – I don't think you can just promote from within Hockey Canada because you're going to have to fill out the board. You're going to have to do that. You can't just go from the same recruiting circles to, to do that and then have them, you know, kind of lead the way. I think you kind of have to have private, public, you know, a, 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 you know, I, the government, I think, needs to be involved at this. I, yeah, you know, I was about to say, just, like, I, I just, wonder how much... Just for oversight and some stuff, because... But also, I mean, as we said before, like, you also need... And this is something that I mentioned Brock McGillis on the show a lot. He is a friend, but also he's somebody I, I respect immensely for doing the work that has been really, really difficult to do when nobody wanted to listen to him, and now people are starting to listen to him after everything he said was proven right. I mean, listen to, you could have listened to him six years ago and would have saved all this heartache, but... The thing that I think is very important here is that just because the entire board is gone and Andrew Skinner is gone does not mean that the people who really should be in positions of power and influence in Hockey Canada and can be doesn't mean they're automatically going to go there. You have to earn it. I mean, I was asking Brock on, on Tuesday when this news came out, you know, what what's going to take for you to be involved? Because I've seen a number of people write that he should be involved and he should be. But it's going to take a lot of work for, you know, the people in charge to prove that they are willing to do the hard work, the graft, you know, the nitty gritty stuff that is not fun, that is not very interesting to make the culture of the sport in Canada and in general better. And it's got to be proven to him. He's not just going to go out and do it. And all of the other people that we would like to see involved, Haley Wickenheiser, some of the other very smart people out there who would be willing to do it, it's got to be proven to them first. And that is incumbent on the people, you know, to swallow their pride, to take a hit for their egos and say, you know, we're going to be willing to let other people in the room. We can't fix this on our own. And for the people of Hockey Canada who are in those circles and the provincial federations, that's probably the hardest thing that they are going to say. And I think the other point that I want to make 
and we'll touch on Ian Cole too in a second, is also much, much worse is coming. We have not heard the end of the 2018 scandal, the 2003 scandal, and as we saw with Ian Cole, there's a lot more that could end up bubbling to the surface. And it's now recumbenting on all of these people to react to this in a different way. And with Ian Cole, the Lightning suspended him while they figure out what the heck's going on, which I was not expecting them to do. But it's going to take a shift in mindset and a shift in the way that people view the responsibility of those provincial hockey federations, Hockey Canada, and the the stars of the sport in many ways too. It's incumbent on them in order to say that this isn't acceptable. And some of the comments Connor McDavid made, like just basically no commenting the situation, didn't help. You know, that's not going to be good enough going forward. We need the steps to be taken by the people, not just in power who have had power, but people who are willing to put their necks out and are willing to take the lumps and are willing to go through a difficult process to make it better because this is going to be incredibly difficult for everybody involved. And that also includes the fans. Just because the board resigned and just because we got hockey now to talk about, like actual games, does not mean that the story is going away. We need to be very much, and I'm certainly going to do this because of who I am and how I'm wired and who I know, but in general, we have got to be on this all the time. Because here's what somebody pointed out that I find really, really important. The actual product of games in hockey right now, the stars, the quality of player, is as good as it's ever been. The actual hockey is as fun as it's ever been. But everything else surrounding the sport is as bad as it's ever been. And I'm going to tell you what. I'm not sure the product itself is going... I mean, the NHL could obviously ruin it. It's the NHL. But they've got something and they've started to figure it out just a little bit. They've taken baby steps. If you start to make the culture around the sport better, even marginally, so I'm not seeing, you know, and we're not seeing the people who should be involved in this game be pushed away by everything toxic about it, what that could mean for the growth of this game, how tempting it could be considering who are media partners in the U.S., how good the stars are, the young stars, and then what Connor Bedard could bring next year. The potential is there if this people in the sport get out of their own way. Yeah, I mean, the same thing, though, that drives them, like how good the sport can be means how much money they make, and that drives them from doing this because they have to sacrifice money in the short term for hopefully I, money I in the long what, term. The potential in the long term is so great if they just take their lumps now, not even necessarily from a money perspective, but just from an ego perspective. If they are willing to do that, and that's on Gary Bettman, that's on all of the people, in, as we said, the powerful... But, like, I mean, sport. I, I, I just... Uh, unfortunately, I don't think they're anywhere close to it because, I mean, maybe they're doing this behind the, the scenes or whatever, but you would... You know, there's a you lot still more to come out with Hockey Canada. Oh, oh, and then you are also, absolutely it's, right. But it's you also, also know, and I just want to say... It's, it's also USA Hockey. Oh, yes. We, we know that there's... So much, I, there's so many similar stories with USA Hockey. Um, they're part of the Chicago Blackhawks story, and that's been swept under the rug. We know um, that John Van Beesbrook has had uh, issues and problems, with, you know, with uh, abuse in the past. 
uh, and he's heading up the whole thing. Um, we need to get on this. We need like it has until the league starts doing proactive stuff. Like, oh hey, we see that Hockey Canada, a great decorated institution, was so corrupt and so manipulative and so abusive and was burying all of this stuff under the rug. We can't do that. They have to be. You know, they have to be thinking, okay, well, we already know X, Y, Z about USA Hockey. Let's make sure that they don't have any funds. Let's publicly audit their funds. Let's make sure that this is all public and stuff. So it it uh, de- it decreases the people thinking they can get away with it. They can, they can do this without high levels of public scrutiny. Mm-hmm. So we've got a lot of questions about that. And also with, as you said, with Ian Cole, it's not just good enough, as you say, to suspend him, which they did, and the Lightning did the, the correct thing. We know he met with NHL investigators, but we don't know what that means. We now need to understand, as he said, the first step is not just good enough. And I have always you know, been of the mindset that because the bar for the National Hockey League and all of the people involved in this sport is at the, the floor, it's, it's at the center of the earth. Such low expectations. But now... You know, I think we need to expect from them that they do more than just the bare minimum. We can't celebrate them for say, hey, the Lightning suspended Ian Cole when this stuff came out, and that's correct. But now we need to see what is the follow-up? What is actually being done to investigate these claims and to corroborate these claims? They are taking them seriously, but it is not just, you know, taking it seriously at the start. There is a lot more that needs to be done, and hopefully that is done. And we need to see that all of those things are done. That is an important step. And as you said, what's going to happen when we find out the names of the 2018 team? Because we're going to, and we don't want to speculate on who they're going to be, but what's going to happen when those names get released? What are teams going to do? What's the league going to do? These are all questions that have to be answered. And again, what's going to happen when we hope that worse stuff doesn't come out? But I'm just going to tell you, worse stuff is going to come out. And that's not me saying it because I know things. I'm just saying it because it's hockey. And look at what has happened in all of these other sports where there are cultural issues. The NWSL, you think there's a bottom and there isn't, right? When we've seen all of these other scandals, and again, this is a, it goes back to the Andrew Skinner comment that this is a societal issue. And I'm like, yeah, it is. But you're responsible for fixing it in hockey. And right. you've got to fix it in hockey. Because yeah. you have the tools and ability to fix in hockey. You're not going to be able to do all the societal things you want to do, but you can in hockey. You can change these things. And also, I will say that there is um, and I know you don't like Alan Walsh all that much, but there was an interview he did with SDPN, who are, who are friends of ours, because I did an SDPN thing once. can't believe that was nine months ago now, but I did it and I enjoyed it. Uh, where they interviewed somebody on some of the culture issues and some of the things, and you don't need me to tell you that when you hear about the hot box and when you hear about all these things, you just go, how did all of this get allowed for so long? It's because the culture of hockey was such that nobody else was allowed in and nobody else was able to tell them, guys, what the hell are you doing? This is ridiculous and gross. Stop it. And now that people know, and now that it's more widely known, that stuff can actually you know, change. But that culture is not gone you know, we're seeing the stories of, you know, the racism that you see at the lower levels of hockey right right now in, like, Ontario and what Akeem Alou's been talking about. And then Steve Simmons making a fool of himself because there are people in hockey who don't like Akeem Alou because of stupidity or whatever. I don't know. Because he's not Brain quiet. Poison. 
He's not quiet. They would just like for him to sit down and please shut up. Please don't like I I'm trying to enjoy this thing. I can't enjoy it when you bring up these very real issues. And that's just I'm I'm just I'm sorry. Like he's not going to shut up. None of us are going to shut up about this. Well, yeah, I mean I I there's there's a lot of people, you know, in 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 every walk of life where they think, you know, they just they don't like confrontation or, you know, this is a release to them. So they don't want to have to grapple, you know, with some of the harder, uh, tougher, you know, like this is their entertainment. They don't you know, they didn't grow up playing hockey or, you know, their kids aren't don't necessarily play and stuff. So this isn't something that they have to deal with. However, you know, um, I just think that in, in all shapes in, in well, I don't think it can be an issue where you, you can just sweep it on the rug or you can be like, oh, this is my entertainment in the same way that, you know, um, in every other walk of life when there's abuse and stuff and you see it or you're part of it, like, you know, you have to, I don't know, I lost my train, excise it, you know, you have to do your part, and you, you can't, I, I see so many people just like, oh, another, you know, having kind of the fatigue, all oh, the exhausting, oh, another thing, another thing, you know, and wanting to tune out and stuff, but. You can't, I, this, yeah. it's gonna suck, but I'm just telling you, you know, the, the, when the lights are turned on, you're not gonna like what people see, Andrea Skinner, that's maybe why she wanted the lights off, has all these rinks, because nobody wanted to, you know, see what was underneath the, you know, under, on the peel back behind the curtain. I'm just telling you, the stories are going to be there. And if you want to celebrate, you know, the Luke Prokop stories of the world, you have to make it so that those stories can exist in the first place. Because the people, you know, who want to make that happen are out there. You just got to let them in the door. You got to have their, you got to let them have their voice, you know. And sponsors pulling out, that's great. You know, unfortunately, it takes craven capitalism for people to change, and that sucks, and it shouldn't be that. But it's also on the sponsors. They have to say, we're not coming back unless you do X, Y, and Z. You know, or we are only going to come back if certain people are in power. And again, maybe it's governments, maybe it's provincial federations, maybe it's provincial governments in Canada or it's state governments in the U.S. or, you know, whatever it is. The culture of this sport is going to change. It's a matter of how difficult that change is going to be and how hard people want to make it. You don't have to make it that hard. It can be easy if you're willing to make it easy. Anyway, that's our talk on hockey culture for now, but we will certainly be talking more about that as we go along. Hopefully the hockey is fun. I'm looking forward to answering some of the questions about the Panthers and much, much more. And, of course, we'll have much more fun by hockey. 4-1 tonight. That's what I'm thinking. I, I hope you're right. I would like to see the Panthers continue to beat the Islanders and have another Alexander Barkov at the Panthers. Uh, until then, of course, good night and good hockey.